are listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. One of our sponsors of the Dairy Voice podcast is National DHIA. NDHIA ensures information accuracy and represents their members' interests. They are the direct voice for the dairy information industry. To find out more, go to dhia.org. Our guest today is a longtime dairyman and leader from the Beehive State. Kent Butters has spent his career on the family dairy near Lewiston, Utah, in the northern part of the state. And it's been my pleasure to know Kent since I spent a summer in college working at the dairy at Utah State. So we go back a long way. Kent, welcome to Dairy Voice. Thank you, Joel. Happy to join you this beautiful sunny morning. It is a lovely summer day for sure. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your family's roots and uh, your dairy tradition there in the northern part of the state. Well, the farm that uh, we are on <clears throat> has been in the family since uh, 1908. My grandfather came here and, and bought 80 acres and uh, started the dairy at that time. And so we're currently, my grandson makes the fifth generation of uh, involvement here on the dairy. We uh, currently own uh, about 400 acres and farm about 525 acres with land that we rent. We milk uh, 275 uh, Holsteins. Uh, 95% of those are registered Holsteins. All of our farmland is irrigated, which is essential in this part of the state. Uh, Utah is a very arid state, and without irrigation, it's just impossible to consistently uh, farm and, and have a good production. So irrigation is key to it. That's why my grandfather moved here uh, from an area where they were doing dry farming because of the irrigation potential and the possibility to uh, be more successful. So I took over uh, the farm at the, about the age of 21. My father passed away and I was uh, kind of thrown into it and uh, it ended up being a wonderful thing to be involved here with uh, my brother on the farm, we farmed together for about 40 years. Uh, he left the farm because of his involvement uh, in government and politics, took a full-time position as a county executive uh, after serving some time on the county board and also in the state legislature. Currently, he is uh, working with the governor as the commissioner of agriculture in, in the state of Utah has enjoyed his involvement with government. And uh, so that left an opening for my son, Daniel, to come full-time on the farm. And he and I now are in partnership, have been for about the last six years. And uh, things are going well, we enjoy it. Uh, it's a great place to raise a family and it's fun to see my grandkids taking involvement and uh, being part of the farming operation. We uh, have a barn, a dairy barn that's been updated several times. It was built in 1977, but we, right now we milk uh, seven on the side with a herringbone style parlor with a rapid exit. It takes about four and a half hours to milk about 240 cows. They're housed in open free stalls, which is kind of a traditional way to house cattle here in, in the West where we're at. 
So we raise also, we have the 275 milking cows and probably that, about that many heifers also. So facilities are pretty, pretty conventional or typical for this part of uh, the country. Hi, I'm Tim Hammerich. Looking for your next podcast? Check out the Fresh Cow Files from Zoetis, where we'll discuss hot industry topics, including antibiotic stewardship, employee training, transition cow periods, and more. The more you train employees, the better they're at making decisions for the well-being of animals. So if you're ready for some eye-opening insights, I sincerely hope you'll join us on the Fresh Cow Files, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, just as an aside, uh, noting that your brother has a leadership role in the state, it, it seems like there's a real tradition of dairy farmers being active in state government in Utah. And uh, we can both probably cite you better than me, but uh, we know of, of dairymen who've served in the state legislature and, and been active leaders. My brother, Craig, was involved for, I think, 10 years in the state legislature and at the time he was involved there uh, serving, there were probably five or six other uh, full-time dairymen that were serving in the state legislature. And it was an excellent opportunity for agriculture to have a voice and representation. And I, I think agriculture benefited greatly from their involvement there. Um, we do have the, the dairyman organization in the state. Um, they're heavily involved in the, uh, the politics, I guess, of, of state and uh, national government. So we've had a, a good tradition of involvement in uh, government here in the state of Utah and in our local government. So it's been very beneficial for agriculture, as I said. I'll bet. I think maybe a higher percentage of Utah dairymen have served in the legislature, I, I would hazard a guess, than any other state in the country. <laughs> That's probably true because there's not a lot of dairymen <laughs> in the state, and there and there have been some very influential dairymen. I I, I guess Glenn Brown would be a name that uh, would come up very quickly. He served as the Speaker of the House for several years and spent a lot of years there in the in the state legislature. Also, Bill Wright uh, was involved there and is a familiar a familiar name to. Uh, a lot of folks in the dairy industry as well. So. That's, that's for sure. Well, shifting back to your dairy, uh, talk a little bit about your, your feeding program, uh, your production levels, kind of uh, some of the important management details that you and your son are involved with. We have uh, three full-time hired uh, folks that work with us on the dairy. Uh, my son and I do a lot of the farming of the 500 plus acres and uh, the harvest of the crops and so forth. Uh, three Latino gentlemen that have all worked for us for some time that uh, do the milking and a lot of the day-to-day -day management things with the, the dairy, dairy cows. Um, I have a son that works with Select Sires full-time and he helps us in our mating program. We kind of have two herds. We, uh, I've been involved with the registered wholesaling business for really all, all my time in, in dairying. And so uh, I have a great love for a fancy cow. And we have kind of a group of cows that we continue to breed uh, for high type and for uh, the opportunity to take one to the show ring occasionally. We also 
use a lot of high net merit bulls in our uh, in our herd to improve uh, production, longevity, and so forth. My son works closely with a, a nutritionist to to do the uh, ration for the herd, and I do a lot of the feeding, the mixing, and the feeding on the day to day basis. So. I actually have four of my six kids that are directly involved in agriculture. The one, one son that's on the farm, uh, one that works for Zoetis, uh, also one that I mentioned works for Select Sires. I have a daughter that works full-time for the uh, Ag Credit System here in the state, Western Ag Credit. And then of course my son that's on the farm. So. Uh, they all have some involvement uh, with the decision-making process on the farm, but largely that uh, takes place between my son and I in our partnership. So we, we kind of distribute the responsibilities out and uh, try to make it so that each of us can have a little bit of time off. And uh, in the summer, that's kind of difficult, but in the winter, it, it does free up uh, some of our time with the way we have the work distributed between our full-time employees and us, so. What, what sort of production levels are you able to uh, achieve these days? We are currently at about 25,000 pounds of milk on a rolling herd basis and uh, just over 900 pounds of fat and about eight, I think about 850 on protein. Uh, we milk two times a day, uh, so everything is, you know, pretty traditional. We do use a uh, cow uh, management software through uh, DHI Provo, and we do a lot of the management that way. We also have uh, a system that uh, monitors uh, heats for us and also uh, rumination and activity. So that, that helps a lot to identify cows that are in heat and also those that need uh, special attention for sickness and so forth so those things you know it's helped tremendously in the management of the herd and increasing the production level uh of the herd over the years you uh you mentioned your rolling herd average and uh your connection with the processing center at provo dhi provo uh you've been a leader in uh, dhi organizations uh state and national just put your DHI experience kind of in perspective in terms of its value to dairy producers and, and in your herd particularly. Well, yes, I'd be happy to do that, Joel. I've, uh, <clears throat> I spent 15 years on the national DHIA board and prior to that time served on our local affiliate board here, the Rocky Mountain uh, affiliate of DHIA. So I've had a lot of experience. Uh, I've been to a lot of meetings over the years. Uh, and it's been a, a very rewarding experience as well as challenging at times to communicate and to uh, share new ideas and, and to see those new ideas accepted and go throughout the DHIA system. I think that it's, it's broadened my understanding of dairying. I think I spent a lot of time just with the registered side of things prior to my involvement with, especially on a national level with DHIA. And then understanding that uh, there are a lot of farmers out there that are not involved in the registered uh, side of the dairy industry and how important 
management information is to them really kind of opened my eyes to, you know, the whole dairy industry. And uh, DHIA has really been the service sector of uh, the industry. A lot of the genetic progress has been based on data that has been uh, retrieved from the farms by uh, supervisors and their monthly visits and the, the records that have been sent through the uh, records processing centers and then on to AIPL. So DHI has a rich history. Uh, it's a management tool that uh, has really made <clears throat> the dairy industry successful uh, for those who have been willing to pick it, pick it up and uh, use it going forward. So happy to have been involved with uh, DHIA. As a national DHI leader, uh, you, have, you were active when the Council on Dairy Cattle Breeding was formed and emerged. The latest technology that we're hearing about is the addition of uh, some feed efficiency measures uh, to net merit with the uh, August evaluations. I, I don't know how closely you've been able to follow the detail of that, but you mentioned net merit was important, uh, an important uh, selection tool. Have you had a chance to kind of dig into that feed efficiency information and, and uh, form an impression on how that might be of help to you? Well, I've been in, in <clears throat> excuse me, I've been involved on the producer advisory committee. Uh, this was established a couple of years ago. Five people that have been appointed to a, to this committee to kind of give producer input to the Council on Dairy Cattle Breeding. So I do have some background in uh, the changes that are coming up for uh, net merit in August. I think Feed Saved has some real potential, uh, probably a somewhat concerned about the number of records that are we're basing our projections on for <clears throat> the savings that can take place. The low heritability of feed saved is somewhat concerning also, but it's a direction that other countries are moving and uh, accepting into their genetic evaluations. And so I think it's timely that we incorporate feed saved into, the, into net merit. I think we need to monitor it and watch it closely and try to generate uh, more records to base our uh, predictions on. So I think if we don't use it now, it's, we're going to regret it. <laughs> like I say, it, it's rapidly moving forward in other countries. And so we need to step up to the plate and uh, do the best we can to get records to, to base those predictions on and to, uh, monitor uh, where we're headed once that it's part of the net merit uh, program. Well, I'll uh, be interested to uh, hear your reaction as, as this uh, new uh, technology is implemented, the, the new information is incorporated. And uh, just as an aside to our listeners, uh, I think there's going to be quite a lot of media attention paid to this uh, and, and here at Dairy Business, we'll be doing some interviews with uh, Joao Durr, the CEO at CDCB uh, and others 
to talk about how feed saved is going to be incorporated uh, both as a trait by itself and also into the new net merit calculation. One of the things that we've identified over the years uh, with my involvement on the council on dairy cattle breeding and also on the producer advisory committee is that we need to do a better job in educating dairymen when, when we make changes. And I know that Zhao has uh, put a lot of time and effort into uh, educating uh, the general dairy public about the changes that are going to take place. And I, I would concur with you. I, I think we're going to see a lot of information about that in the next couple of months. And hopefully dairy producers will take the time to familiarize themselves with uh, the changes that are being made and, and then incorporate that into their own uh, breeding programs on the farm. So I think education is the key to moving forward to understanding and appreciating the, the effect that FeedSave could have uh, potentially in the industry. So, Well, and in your leadership roles, you've played a, an important role in that uh, outreach effort. That's, that's for sure. And we all thank you for that. Well, Kent, as we kind of move toward the end of our allotted time here, uh, as you and your son and family uh, look down the road a little bit, what are you anticipating in terms of, of your own dairy and your own operation and uh, your region uh, or even dairy nationally? What, what, what trends, what, what, what are you looking at? I, I know that the older one gets, the, the harder it is to be optimistic. <laughs> I think with age, sometimes we tend to be a little more pessimistic, but looking forward uh, to the future uh, technology, uh, has made a big difference for us on the farm. And I, I know that that's only going to improve and increase and provide an opportunity to uh, be more productive and more efficient on the farm. The opportunity to expand uh, dairy operations is going to be difficult with uh, the price of land currently. I'm sure that those challenges were some that my father worried about for when uh, I took over the farm. And, and I know I have a lot of faith in the, the young, young people and, and their abilities to apply technology moving forward. I think it's, uh, there's a lot of potential out there. Uh, we're kind of happy where we're at right now, cow number wise, and the number of acres that we own and, and rent. Uh, it fits well into our operation and uh, the debt load that we're carrying at the present time. And so I think that uh, there's going to be opportunity. It's going to be increasingly difficult to start uh, anew, if you will, in the dairy industry. But for those uh, coming into the operation, uh, family and so forth, I think, uh, I think it's going to be a bright future. I want to try and be more optimistic and uh, less pessimistic, I guess. Uh, looking forward. So, well, I, I think that's a worthy goal for all of us, Kent, with a, with an eye toward reality, but uh, with a with a positive attitude for sure. You know, working closely with uh, our financial advisors and our accountants, it, it's been very beneficial the last few years. We've gone through a family uh, transition, yeah, as I mentioned, with my brother leaving the farm and my son and I uh, buying his share of the operation. And now my wife and I uh, approaching our 70s have also had to look at uh, 
the reality that we're not going to be around forever and we needed to get things into play so that once we're gone, that the farm can stay in the family and move forward. And so we've been working through all of, all of those uh, opportunities and challenges and we're finally to the end of that. And uh, luckily all of my family, uh, my immediate family, they want to see the farm stay uh, as a farm and they love coming back to the farm and have happy memories there. And so that gives my son and I an opportunity to get things into play so that the farm can stay the way it's been for the past three generations in my life and moving forward for the next two generations at least with my son and grandson. So we're very happy that things have worked out that way and that uh, the work's done to legally and so forth to uh, make that happen. Well, that's great news. I'm glad you brought that up. Family transition uh, certainly can be a challenge for the ongoing, not just dairy farms, but family businesses of, uh, in agriculture. I, I've often said there's a hundred different ways to handle a, a transition, turn a farm over to the next generation, and, and uh, maybe 95 of those haven't been happy. <laughs> so it is a real challenge. And uh, like I mentioned, uh, we're happy that uh, things are where they're at and that everyone's on board and moving forward. So well, we're, we're delighted to hear that, and we wish you and your family continued success. Uh, we've been speaking with Kent Butters of Butterdell Holsteins uh, near Lewiston, Utah. Kent, thanks for being on Dairy Voice. Thank you, Joel. It's been a great opportunity, and happy to speak with you this morning. And I'm your host, Joel Hastings. You can find Dairy Voice at all of the podcast uh, sites, pretty much, as well as at dairybusiness.com.